Hi, and welcome to Bloody Good Reads. I'm your host, Mark Goddard, and welcome back to another episode with another brilliant guest. Uh, she has got a brand new book out called The Book of Malachi over here in the UK. And um, yeah, it'd be great to actually talk to somebody who's not American, he's not British, somebody over in South Africa this time. So um, welcome to the guest, to the podcast this time around, uh, Tracy Farron. Thanks, Mark. It's lovely to be here, actually, and I hope you can understand my accent. I have no idea how I sound. <laughs> Do you know what my my boss at my, my boss at um, kind of real work is also South African, so I'm I'm used to the accent. So you know, no worries there. So with the podcast, we like to chat to, to authors and find out you know, what got them into writing in the first place, and uh, also find out what you've brought along as your bloody good read. So um, yeah, let's start from from the top. And how do you get into writing, and what genres do you do you tend to go for? Yeah, um, I used to read myself silly as a kid, so I actually hardly, for I lose days and days of my life, maybe weeks of my life, by just falling into books like many of us. Um, I didn't know that would translate to writing, but I started off with when I had my first batch of young children, working as a freelance journalist. Um, because life was so deadly boring actually at home and I needed to go out and find the adventures. So I just went and um, found fantastic stories and wrote about them for newspapers and magazines. But I found that I absorbed too much, just took on and took in too much and I couldn't actually bear it. Um, I needed somewhere to put, put all the material that I'd, I'd witnessed and all the stories that I'd heard and... I made the mistake of doing a creative writing course. I was actually quite driven to it by uh, an amazing, very vivid dream that I had in the early hours where I dreamt that I was doing a creative writing course. And I woke up literally charged with electricity. And I said to my husband, I said, touch me, am I buzzing? And he put his hand on my, on my hip and he said, no, you're not. <laughs> but um, that very same morning I just signed up with a, a, a creative writing workshop and um, mm. and completely gave up journalism because I found a place to put all the stories that were just weighing on me so heavy. A lot of them horror, you know, because um, I live in, in South Africa, which um, is, is a, can be a very horrific country. Since then, I've written all, I don't know what my genres are. My last one is definitely unintentionally horror, but only after it published people described it as horror, so I assume that it is, and um, I acknowledge that it very much is. But then when I look back at the other two novels, um, you might call them drama, they have more than a swathe of horror running through them. Mm. Would you call it more um, human horror? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a very good description. I like that very much. Completely. And you know, it might not be the same where you live and um, you know, you might not be taking in the same level of of the macabre and, and the and the mm. frightening in, in your life and your news and in your environment. Um, but life on earth I don't know, it entails a good dose of horror. So writing about humans, you, you can tr you can strive to keep it light, but they're likely to, to fall into pits somewhere along the way. So 
with like your audiences in say America and UK, you, do you find the reaction to your kind of your work different than kind of like your, your obviously your South African fans? I think so. I think I think South Africans have got a much higher threshold for violence, um, and they've got a, a much higher threshold for darkness. I know that when I got a UK agent, she was just saying you have to re-edit, you can have to edit your books in a way that's calmer and gentler because people don't have the same stomach for violence, violence especially. So um, perhaps for you know deviations, perversions, but not not specifically not for violence. Perhaps they have a similar three points of gore, but you know. Um, person-on-person violence is hard for people to bear. And the thing is, when we, um, we as South Africans, because we have a crime rate that I think is second to some, only some South American countries, not crime rate, Muhammad homicide rates are up there, boy, with places like that. So we hear about it all the time. So even if you just sharpen your ears a little bit and, and you're listening in coffee shop conversations or everyday chit-chats, you know, we stumble across or come across or have episodes and incidents of violence detailed very nicely. And I don't, I think you do, I don't know if you numb out, but you definitely develop your defenses. But the funny thing is that in South Africa, there isn't much of a community, a horror-loving community. People don't necessarily want to go out and look for horror and, and love horror. And revel in it in order to whatever horror lovers do. I hear that horror lovers, uh, myself included, are processing the darkness of the world and the trauma of their own lives by keeping it in as a, as a good, safe remove. But here in South Africa, there isn't so much of an appetite for that because I think through everyday conversations and safety considerations all the time, everywhere you go, you've got a sense of. Um, you know, how am I going to survive this, this walk in the dark um, or this trip home late at night? It's not something that people look for for entertainment. That's why it was so cool for me to take my dark book um, where I went into the very um, pits of evil and present it to people who actually go out there looking for it. <laughs> oh, it's such a relief for me. Yes, please. You know, just just full of horror and and um, you know, we we can be kin because I don't have to apologize. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. It did very well so, there, but a lot of people have to read it through their fingers because you know there isn't yeah. that audio. Yeah, peeping through their fingers. No, I, I've, <laughs> I, I've I've heard I've heard the genre isn't as big over there, um, which it's. I can I can understand why I can understand why, but I'm glad you found your audience here in the UK and and obviously in the states yeah. as well. So, um, so let's start with your first book choice. What have you brought for us today? I was actually thinking more of when I was thinking about books. I was thinking about books that had affected me, horror books that had actually affected me in, in deep ways and and haunted me and and you know and shaped my own evolution as a person and I had to I had to start with Stephen King's Carrie which was published in 1974 and that had a profound effect on me as a as a young girl actually as a I think I must 
adolescence or pre-adolescence, I can't remember. That book was quite, it, it was horrifying for me and somehow had a, a, a role in my development as a, as a woman, as a young woman. And I think because Carrie is that misfit, that girl, I, I think everybody knows the outline. But the plot is, is a young woman who has an extraordinary power of telekinesis that she can move things with her mind. And it was actually Stephen King's first published novel. It came from a short story, I think. She is has this incredible power that could so easily put to good use, possibly, um, out of a horror context. But, of course, it had to go the other way. And, and for this power combined with her anger and outrage at injustice of abuse against her, she unwittingly destroys her universe, destroys her world, destroys also symbols and, and structures and artifacts that are associated with patriarchy. But the message in that, watching that, I mean, watching that book, felt like I was watching the book and I did, this, I think I watched the Pierce movie, the one who was directed by a woman, which was... Mm. Um, actually had, had more of a feminist strain to it. But what I got out of that book, um, Carrie, was that your power is dangerous. If you have any special powers, you could so easily end up annihilating yourself and everybody that you know and love. So I know that sounds bizarre, but I was so impressionable when I read it. And, and the, and the, and the avalanche of mills and boons that I read after that, at that age, did nothing <laughs> to, <laughs> to actually mediate the effect. But, yeah, I don't know, I just remember being a sort of cut to the core. And it was it's quite interesting because then my first book that I ever wrote was a book called Whiplash, and it was about a sex worker who was really incredibly lost and was um, terribly self-destructive. And in the and through a very, very vicious, violent ordeal that she kind of put herself in the way of as part of her self-destructive compulsion. She found her power. And it's very, very much a redemption story, but it was a, 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 it was a, it was a hard, crazy journey. Mm-hmm. It, it, in the way, it kind of glances off Carrie in, in, a, in maybe even an energetic lens. You know, and, and there's like a, a resonance definitely with theme. But with Carrie, there was this, uh, this was a story of, referred to it as monstrous, monstrous femininity. That's a book that, you know, when you read a book at a certain age, I think you actually take it into your DNA or something. You take it into yourself. Yeah. It's one of those books that shifted my DNA. And it's, 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 you know, it's his first book as well. I know his wife really really pushed for him to actually uh, release the book and helped him kind of write right through it. Um, but it's one of his, his best works, really. And it's, it's nice to see Stephen King can even – his, his uh, influence spreads quite far, really. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I mean, I was deeply affected by Cujo and Firestarter, not as much as Carrie, not, not half as much as Carrie. Although I must say I had, I had a terrible werewolf terrors when I was young, and Cujo – Kujo triggered us very badly, and it took um, women who run with the wolves, Clarissa <laughs> Pinkala Estes, mm. um, 
to to help you to help you um, level that one out as well. <laughs> so, your new book. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book, your inspiration behind it, and uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the book. Okay, so it's called the Book of Malachi. Um, and it's about this guy from West Africa. It's a fictional country. Uh, he, he hails from a fictional country. Uh, I made up. It's, ne- it's set in 2030, so it's a near future story. And mm-hmm. Malachi is a, a victim of civil war, and he was mutilated um, during the during a historical war. So it was 15 years prior to the story starting when this terrible thing happened to him, and he has no tongue. When I first thought of writing a person who has no tongue, I actually thought it was quite, like, in a very, very black, very dark way. Too ridiculous. Mm. And I didn't want to, but I had no choice because the character appeared to me and he definitely had no tongue. I had to try and write into it and see what would happen and, um, and stuck with it. But he ends up working amongst life sentence prisoners, so amongst a whole lot of murderers, caged, naked murderers, on a deep-sea oil rig. And his job is to basically be a kind of prison warden to them, and his main preoccupation during the day is to trim their nails on their hands and feet. And in exchange, the huge pharmaceutical, very unethical pharmaceutical company that he works for will graft a new tongue for him so he has a lot to gain. The stakes are high for him. And he goes in extremely bitter and determined to resurrect, determined to start again and become whole again, to to be able to communicate again. He's working amongst the people um, of this thought who have completely ruined him. So he has good reason to be extremely hateful and the people in the cages are the dregs of humanity when they're presented by his bosses as the dregs of humanity but working amongst them and walking amongst them he has no choice but to listen to their stories and to listen to their pleas um, he wishes more than anything that he didn't have to listen he wishes more than anything in the world that he didn't ever have to set eyes on these beasts they get through to him and then he has to decide, okay, what do I do here? Do I take my tongue and run? Or do I say something? Do I speak out and try to save them? So he's, he's, he's caught up in the most um, dreadful dilemma. And it becomes, it becomes quite, it becomes very hair-raising, yeah. The action ramps up. The inspiration behind the tale, is it more kind of <clears throat> taken from like kind of experiences while you're your journalism or is there a particular style of author that kind of maybe kind of insp- inspired you to kind of that kind of story? You know what? I think I think it was a culmination of having lived through some of apartheid and then mm. the, the fact that <clears throat> in the last 20 years or so, the divide between the privileged and the poor, you know, the, the split between rich and poor has got has stayed really huge and possibly expanded um, in this country, and um, the, the separation hasn't really healed. It's you know, in some sectors, yes, where the middle class, the black middle class, has grown, 
and the white elites have, have thinned out, you know, they've, they're, where they've sort of dropped, we're talking purely in social economic terms. But um, the separation is still incredibly stark. And mm. um, I was living in a place that was, it was one of those places that kind of belonged to the old South Africa. I ended up there, it felt like by default. It was one of those places where I felt that you should never be able to have, have to drive through it. You should just take a helicopter over the top or something. And I ended up living there. Mm. And the, the, the cloistering and the shutting off and the, what we call a lager mentality where people used to, uh, 100 years old, 200 years old Dutch people who first came to South Africa used to arrange their ox wagons in a circle facing outwards so they could protect themselves from the enemy. It felt like living mm. like that. It was mad. And at the same time, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've written about this before, but I was also on a mission to find out what is it that makes us all the same? What do we share? And and are we indeed one? You know, just as as a as a, as a I don't know from a soul perspective, really. And mm-hmm. the Book of Malachi really came out of that quest to figure out, okay, so all these horrendous things are happening. People are hurting each other all around us and all around me. But like I'm talking about in a few kilometers range, you know, um, people are burning up their families out of um, jealousy or, or um, sheer a sense of desperate, helpless um, grief or depression. And there are, you can basically buy a death. You can get people, assass- you can get someone assassinated for about a hundred pounds easily under, in fact, maybe 50 pounds. Um, you could get a pretty good hit taken out of somebody's life where there'd be no, no follow-up or consequences. Very little because there's very little law enforcement or very effective law enforcement. So it was just being surrounded by, um, oh, you know, it's people close to you as well getting abducted. I don't even want to go into detail because the real is very different to the fictitious. So talking about real things that happen in your real neighborhood or amongst your real friends or real family is um, you almost don't want to inflict that on innocent listeners. Mm. But so you could so easily concentrate on the perpetrator and say that gang of guys or um, you know, that's that jealous husband, or very often the violence is against women and children, mostly in this country. It's, 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 it's an epidemic here. But then you, again, separating out so severely from somebody um, in the same human race. So it was just freaking me out after having lived through some of the content. I just thought, uh, I have to deal with this, and I, I dealt with it. I actually conscripted, or actually, I suppose, asked quite nicely, um, and by degrees, Malachi agreed, <laughs> the fictional character that came to mind, agreed to go deeper and deeper and deeper and further down into that rig. And eventually, I had to sit back and was shocked at um, the darkness that we did confront and interrogate. Um, that wasn't my intention, to go that dark. I'm really grateful that he did. And I'm very grateful that he did it with a sense of humor as well. Um, 
Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't have been able to hang out with him for that long, long enough to finish the book. <laughs> Hi guys, it's Mark here from the Snakebite Horrorcast, snakebitehorror.com, and um, Buddy Goodreads. Really hope you enjoyed the episode today. I'd like to bring your attention to a brand new supporter of the podcast. Uh, they are Abominable Books. Uh, it's UK's best horror and thriller fiction book subscription service. They bring the world of horror and thrillers to your door every month for two brilliant prices. It's all the magic of a haunted bookshop summer straight to your door each month. Basically gives you a brand new horror or thriller title, a luxury snack made here in the UK, a mystery second-hand book possibly haunted book and you also get one of our fe- featured magazines like black static glasses and hellbore bookmarks drinks some surprises or two it's such a great subscription box and they are an amazing set guys so head over to abominablebookclub.cratejoy.com there's even two different tiers of subscriptions you can go for in here so head on over to either get a full guts or a bare bones edition of the box let us know what you think of the box and give those guys support get back to the show well i'm glad you managed to find a a way to kind of live with the character which is which is good which is good yeah it's it's pretty it's very gracious <laughs> yes <laughs> so let's go straight into your your second book choice so i'm intrigued because yeah, you had you had Stephen King the first time, so I'm intrigued to see what your second one is. Yeah. So another another book that, that I'm going to talk about affected I me, mean, haunted, shaken and shattered, like some unseen force has just got hold of you and given you a good shake, like but not a, you know, so that you that you your brain takes a while to find its old place. The, the, it's not really a horror, not strictly a horror, but the book Room by Emma Donoghue. I think it was a 2010 novel. I'd already written, written my second book, Snake, which was narrated by an 11-year-old farm worker's daughter. It was a, it was, it was a child's voice when I read um, Room. And I think we had came from a similar place, Emma Donoghue and I, with our writing, and that. The, the book was really, the horror of the book was, uh, was contained in an adult desperately trying to keep an innocent from knowing. So, an innocent child from knowing. So what got me in room, oh, let me just tell you what it's about. I'm sure you do know because of the movie, which popularized the, the movie is wow. absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I love the, movie. The, the movie is so, so, yeah, heart wrenching. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was beautifully done that movie. Yeah? Wow. Mm. Um, but it was the, the so the book the story was based on Elizabeth Fritzl's case. I think it was you know, Austrian. I can't remember, but yeah. this dad yeah, kept Austrian. his yeah he kept his daughter kept his daughter in his basement. I think for eight years and and um, and um, basically impregnated her, so she had a good number of children for eight years. So room was based on that, but it was about this this girl who was kidnapped when she was nineteen and kept in um, old Nick, as she called him, basement for I think seven years. And she, uh, there she bore a child of red because this horrible man raped her on a daily basis. And the whole story, well, half of the story, is about her trying to. Keep the child fit, keep him well, keep him stimulated, hygienic, and to keep him 
not knowing, not knowing that there's a world out there, not knowing that this, this life is tiny and claustrophobic and cruel. Um, it was written in the voice of the five-year-old, and apparently the author had a five-year-old at the time. Uh, some people, I saw a couple of reviews um, saying, you know, they were quite irritated by the child's voice, but I certainly wasn't because I had young children at the time. Also, you know, so the child, because he had no humans in his life, he would, but he had characterized, or they had characterized, they had created characters of the objects in the room. So wardrobe, um, melted his being, uh, clothes horse, whatever, all the characters that he, had, that he could interact with. And, um, yeah, I think I was living quite a, I think, I think that the, 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 just the dramatic irony was very much like John Boyne's, um, The Boy in the Stripe Pajamas, about the dad in the, um, you know, the, the Nazi camp with his little boy trying to make it, mm. make it him what he so he could keep his kid hidden. Anyway, um, I think that's just the ferocity of the, of the mother's desperate determination to protect her child. Just, Turned, turned my stomach all the way through. I thought it was a brilliant brilliant with more than a touch of horror, but not strictly horror. Um, mm. And again, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, you could see this for myself. It was just that it represented an ultimate um, deterioration of the situation where a woman is completely with her power in the face of an abusive man, but the spirit prevails. There we are, the spirit prevails. Whether she made it out or not, the spirit prevails. Even though she tried, did try and kill herself. I'm telling you all the story, all, 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 the whole plot, but I'm sure it's such an old book that most people have read. And if they haven't, they, they might have seen the film as well. So, but yeah, you know, exactly. The, the film is, is is heartbreaking. So, I, I would I'd be interested to read the book. I'd be interested to read that one. So, two very good choices so far. It's actually beautiful. It's, I think it was long listed for the Booker Prize, but mm. it's, it's so crafted. You know, it's really artful, beautifully crafted. Let's go straight into your third choice. So. What is your final book choice for us this week? Yeah, a book that has affected me, because I was thinking about books that had affected me. The most recent horror that I read, and the one that has, maybe because it's recent, that I read it recently, but it's still living very much in me, and there are a couple of images out of there that are, ah, oh, I, flashed, I flashed you even in the daytime, even when the sun's mm. bright and out. But um, it's actually written by South African authors who... Co-write, so it's a, a woman, it's a female, it's a woman and a man writer, so it's Alex Latimer and Diane Auerbach, and their writer is Frank Owen. Um, it's a story of, it's a, a, a post-apocalyptic story. I don't know if you know South and North. Have you read? Have you, thought, have you come across South and North? I it's haven't, just, no. It's so far in the series. But South specifically, I absolutely loved. I thought it was incredible. It's quite it's quite an underestimated book, possibly. I'm not sure. Um, but so it's set 30 years after a war between North and South America. 
and this book was conceived of, I think, Trump had maybe just been elected when they wrote it. I'm not even sure if he had been elected when they, when they conceived of it. And there was certainly no mention of a war. So not even, no whiff of a war. Um, Trump's, Trump's precious ugly war hadn't been, you know, mentioned at all. But in this story, there's a megalomania psychopath leader in the north who's unleashed viral warfare on the south and completely exterminated the south. And there are a few survivors, like, you know, sort of straggly lots of survivors that are maybe sort of scattered across the southern lands. And the main character's Vida was a, 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 a complex and, and quite fantastic black woman and a um, quite a quite a bland character actually. Her the guy that she that she spends most of the story with, his name is Dice, he is quite a um quite an eventful kind of guy. He doesn't have much charisma but he just grows and grows and grows in the book in very subtle ways that you she in the same way that she reluctantly comes to love him. You know, so do you as the reader. But it's very reluctant. They have, there's very good reason not to love. In fact, love is completely obsolete because um, the people have suffered, the people have died. There's, 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 um, there's no reason to do anything. There's no reason to have any hopes for anything other than to continue to breathe or another perhaps half a day. The wind is a terrifying thing. It's... Um, incredibly sinister as it's something that's inescapable. As soon as the breeze picks up, the virus is on its way and people have to somehow um, they go, go underground or they go to shelter. And here where we live, we live there's a, there's a the prevailing wind is southeastern. It's, 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 um, it's, it's a bully, you know. It's, it's there before you open your eyes and it carries on. It's like one of those things where you think, why the heck do I live here? Um, but when you live in a, where, where there's the powerful gale force winds and you read this book, you just feel under threat all the time. <laughs> but there are, yeah. there are scenes in this book. First of all, it's incredibly character-driven. So the characters are, um, they surprise you all the time because of their facets and they're so real because if you get to know any, any person, Better and better and better. And uncover um, a, a flicker of this and a streak of that and a flash of that. That's what it feels like. And it all hangs together. And it's such a beautiful composite. Um, but anyway, so sorry, their quest, their quest is to get to this place called the mouth. They've got people after them as well. They've got law enforcement running after them. Because Dice, this is the male, the boy, he, um, mm-hmm. yeah. His, his family had been accused of killing the sister of the, what's up, these, these um, dreadful law enforcement, the kind of a vigilante groups that are known for um, their brutality. So anyway, so they've got these people coming after them. And their mission, Dice and Biden, is get to this place called the mouth where, um, as I said, people live and people find a cure, have found a cure. They've got to go through... Mm-hmm. Um, regions that contain place, places like the ghost colony, which is basically like a massive 
um, outdoor asylum that people have been affected by the virus in ways where they've lost their neurological functioning, they're mad, they're mad and they're dangerous, and they're, and they're, they're oh, oh no, yeah, horrific actually. And in the, in this place called the mouth, then they come across something that I'll never forget as long as I live. In this um, apocalyptic, terrifying landscape, love blossoms like a mushroom in the mouth of a corpse. That's your clue. Oh, God. Yeah, but then north is fantastic as well because uh, they get across the walls, the other side. In search of Renard, who's this guy who I'm telling you the whole story. I'm gonna stop. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so that's my and and why that's affected me, I think, is well, they didn't COVID wasn't wasn't even whispered of, you know, when they wrote about it. So it's one of those um incredibly fantastic um predictive books that that with a Authors have somehow channeled what was soon to be. I see that Sarah Pinkster is has um I don't know what award she won. She won some fantastic award for um Song for a New Day, where she had completely channeled the near future um before COVID and she wrote this book about social distancing. I think she got the booker. Mm. No, it's Jackie Ben, I don't know, I can't remember. Um, anyway, so she, um, have you heard of, of a song for a new day? That book, I'm dying to get hold of it. She, where, mm. where, as a musician, she, it sits, it sits in the context of pandemic and social distancing is not just, a, just a way of life and it's so accepted that this is a musician who's desperate to share her music and just, she, she, she'll, she'll die rather than keep it to herself and she, she'll, she risks her life to find an audience um, and to flout authorities and, and break rules so she could, so that she can, she can share her music. So I don't know how else this can go, but they've also completely um, foreseen, she had foreseen, in a sense, through her, through her writing, essentially, um, the, the COVID. And Frank Owen as well, this duo from South Africa. Um, I just they they foresaw the the war they foresaw the virus but um, mm. and I know you know some writers have I just hope that they weren't right about the American Civil War I very much doubt yeah. <laughs> <Let's, laughs> not let's hope not yeah hope <laughs> not yeah well I think what I loved about that book was the fact that love had no place you know there there was no need and, and there was no absolutely no need. It served no purpose, mm. but it's continued to survive. Um, so, what are you working on next? I'm very excited about this one because actually, um, I'm, I'm intentionally letting myself sort of float in humour. You know, just I can't help but go dark. But mm-hmm. I think because I was such a frightened child, and I'm a you know, I was really, really had really bad nightmares as a kid. So I absolutely love going straight in there and having the mastery and the control where I can get to direct when I'm awake. I'm fully awake, I'm fully conscious, and I get to direct um, the action and the baddies and and very often justice. So 
I'm having a fantastic time. Also a near future story. I'm not sure where to set it yet. It's kind of, it could be somewhere like Brooklyn or Brixton, or it could be right here near me. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and it's, I don't want to give too much away, but basically it's, it's about um, it's this woman. The main character is a paramedic, a woman paramedic, who has had enough of femicide. She is, she is, she's driven mad by femicide. She hasn't um, experienced it directly in two years, but she finds it very unusual um, and um, extremely of countering it in her community. She, she manages to get three big players, um, three men who are very much um, instrumental in the violence in the community. Mm. Have, you know, they have the means of, of stopping it or the means of starting it. And she locks them up and takes it from there. Sometimes when you talk about something too much, <laughs> then, then it, it, it's like, you know, you prick it with a pen and all the air just moves out of it. <laughs> Just hisses and it deflates. So I'm, I'm protecting, I'm protecting my new story. But the, it's funny. Oh, definitely, it is funny. Well, I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Three really good choices as well. So, uh, thank yeah, you. thank you for coming on. Thanks, Mark, and good luck with your work. And thanks for the opportunity. It's really great. A huge thank you again to Tracy Farron for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. Her new book, The Book of Malachi, is out in the UK and in the States as well. So do go and grab a copy if you can. It's a brilliant little book. Um, I know listeners of this podcast will absolutely love it. Um, you can also find out some more about Tracy on her website, which is tracyfarron.com. And you can also follow her on Twitter as well. And you can catch me as always over on Twitter at Bloody Good Reads. You can catch me on Instagram at Bloody Good Reads. Um, you can also catch me every fortnight on the Snakebite Horrorcast. You can catch me on my personal Twitter as well at Snakebite Horror and check out any book reviews over at snakebitehorror.co.uk. And as always, I've been your host, Mark Goddard, and I'll see you next time.